You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. 2020 is here, 2020 is upon us. And for us this year, I really want to encourage you and support you and propel you into the very best year of your life. And I think we need to take a whole different approach. And that's what this year is going to kick off with. Instead of trying to treat the different symptoms of the way that we live our lives, you know, trying to stop ourselves from doing certain, uh, what we consider negative behaviors and to encourage ourselves to do positive behaviors, we gotta get back to the core place of where all of our decisions actually reside. And that starts with improving our brain health. Right? Our brain is that governing force that's determining all of our, our impulses, our feelings, our desires, our simulation programs of what can happen if I do or don't do a certain thing and regulating how I feel. And today we've got a very, very special episode. We've got a father and son physician duo here talking about their brand new book, Brainwash, which is absolutely essential as we're moving forward into 2020 and far beyond, because whether we realize it or not, our brains have evolved over millions of years to certain conditions to be able to survive and to even potentially thrive in certain conditions. Today, our conditions, the way that we live our lives, the things that we're exposed to are very, very different, even in the last decade versus millions of years prior. And so our brain has not been able to fully adapt yet because evolution takes time to our new exposures. And so those things that can be coming in and grabbing our attention, creating distraction, pulling us away from the things that we really want to achieve in our lives, like our phones, right? Our phones are such a great opportunity. It's ripe with opportunity. There's never been a time where a device you hold in your hand can help you to create a career, whether it's you know, doing something like a DoorDash or whether it's building a platform and being an influencer in the health and wellness space or in uh, the space of music or whatever the case might be. This phone holds a lot of power, but like with many things, there is a potential downside to it. And so we need to be more cognizant of its effects and utilize it in a way that's helpful for us and minimize the things that can take us away from the things that we want to accomplish this year. And so that's what this episode is going to be about. Before we get to that, obviously this year is about health and wellness and our nutrition as well. And if you're not doing this yet, I've been talking about this for about 15 years now. I've been a huge advocate of folks getting themselves a green superfood blend rather than going towards the standard, quote, multivitamin that is a bunch of synthetic versions of vitamins and minerals that if we look at Mendeleev's table of elements, for example, what that is, is it's measuring the ash of those particular minerals, not how they actually function in a living body or how they function as a live entity in nature. It's what happens when they're burnt. And if you didn't realize this or not, you are not a gas oven or you're not a microwave that's just burning these things and you're getting those same things that's on, a, on the table of elements. These nutrients in real foods are interacting with your body in a much different way. And I was surprised to learn because I wasn't taught this in my traditional university, that there are many different versions of these minerals and nutrients. 
Uh, take magnesium, for example. There isn't just one type of magnesium. There's several types of magnesium. We know that there's many different versions of vitamin D, for example. A lot of people are aware of that today. There's many different versions of vitamin C, of vitamin A. And when you get that synthetic, quote, multivitamin, which form are you getting? Are you getting the one that you actually need? Are you getting a, a dynamic array of these living forms of these things? Probably not. And so this is why I'm a huge advocate for getting ourselves a green superfood blend from real whole food-based, earth-grown nutrient-based, and it's processed at low temperatures to actually retain those nutrients. And so for me, I started off again, about 15 years ago, I was experimenting with these different green blends. So I've been doing this for a while and I've literally had at least a dozen different green blends. And some of them taste like, you know, if you maybe find some lint in your pocket and then you take your lint and you combine it with a little bit of hay and then maybe sprinkle in some grass or some dust, it would probably taste similar to that. All right, I know that's kind of gross, but that's kind of how they would taste. You know, it wasn't that delicious, but I was just like, oh, this is super healthy. So I'm down in these nasty green formulas. Today, we've cracked the code and now we have green superfood blends processed at low temperatures and they actually taste good. And my favorite one by far is from Organifi. And Organifi also highlights some of my all-time favorite green superfoods like spirulina, for example. Spirulina is the highest protein food in the world by weight. It's about 71% protein by weight. And it's also a complete protein in a algae, right? Or something that's other than a, uh, uh, an animal source, which is really rare. If we're talking about the algae and or you know plant, what we would consider to be the plant kingdom, the non-animal kingdom to find a complete protein. So it's really, really special. And that's just one of the things. And also I love spirulina because it has rare compounds that are rarely seen in other foods as well, like phycocyanin, which research has indicated that phycocyanin has this very unique capacity to encourage your body to produce more stem cells. It's a process called stem cell genesis. And when I was in school, I was taught that your stem cells are a uh, non-renewable resource, like what you got is what you got in the story. And it's just not true. There are certain nutrients, there are certain lifestyle practices that can encourage your body to actually produce and mobilize more stem cells. And stem cells become any kind of cell that your body may need. So that's really interesting. So that's just one of the superfoods in there. Also, chlorella is in this incredible formula in the green juice. And chlorella, the name chlorella chlorophyll is one of the greatest sources of chlorophyll as well. And there was actually a study that was recently published in the peer-reviewed journal Appetite looking at the power of chlorophyll, like what's contained in chlorella. And what they discovered was that this chlorophyll content can actually aid in weight loss and reduce the urge to eat hyperpalatable foods. So the type of foods that actually manipulate your brain and create this desire and craving to eat more and more of those foods, the chlorophyll that's contained in this superfood blend is able to help your brain kind of take back ownership, take back control of itself and defend itself from this urge to eat hyperpalatable foods. That's remarkable. You don't hear about that kind of stuff and these other different formulas and products that are out there. You know, again, this is real food, whole-based nutrition. And I dare you to try Organifi and not feel cleaner inside, not feeling like, I just got a nice bath in my body, all right? That's how it feels when you have it. Uh, pop over there, check them out. You get 20% off, exclusive here with the Model Health Show from Organifi for their green juice formula, red juice, everything that they carry. Pop over there, check them out. It's Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash model. 
and you get 20% off everything that they carry. Pop over there, check them out. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Inspired a Love for Help by Super Movies Fan. After several months of listening to the show, I finally realized that Sean is the author of Sleep Smarter, a book I read my senior year of college that first turned me on to how much I enjoy learning about health, leading to an eventual deliberate goal of spending two years learning everything I could want to know about health. Two and a half years later, I'm still learning and listening. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that over on Apple Podcasts. And this is inspiring for me as well because I am now starting to understand that people are finding me and getting connected to me in different ways. So reading Sleep Smarter and that being a leverage point for you and then realizing, oh, wait, that's the guy, same guy on this podcast as well. For me, I usually think that people are, are finding out about the work that we're doing through the podcast. But now like people come up to me and they'll say, you know, I follow you on Instagram or, you know, they read Sleep Smarter and that's how they know about me. Uh, so I'm just so grateful that we're putting great, uh, well-balanced material out there in the world to help to encourage uh, a shift in the paradigm. And so this is just super inspiring for me. So thank you for sharing this over on Apple Podcasts. And listen, everybody, if you've yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. It means so much to me. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is a return guest, but he's bringing somebody special along with him. And our guest is Dr. David Perlmutter, and he's a board-certified neurologist and four-time New York Times bestselling author. And he also serves on the board of directors and is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, one of the very few folks who have that designation as an MD and such a high-standing uh, person in nutrition as well. And he received his MD degree from the University of Miami School of Medicine where he was awarded the Leonard G. Roundtree Research Award and serves as a member of the editorial board for the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and is published extensively in peer-reviewed scientific journals, including the Archives of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and the Journal of Applied Nutrition. He's a true superstar in this space of health and wellness, and today he brought along with him his son, Dr. Austin Perlmutter, who is a board-certified internal medicine physician, and he received his medical degree from the University of Miami and completed his internal medicine residency at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. His academic focus is in understanding the decision-making process and how it is influenced by internal and external factors and how it changes our health and illness outcomes. Dr. Austin Perlmutter and Dr. David Perlmutter are the co-authors together on their forthcoming book, brainwash. And it is loaded with powerful insights and actionable things that we can apply as we head into this new year and far beyond. And so we're going to jump into this conversation with Dr. Austin Perlmutter and Dr. David Perlmutter. Honestly, I just think about when I come in the studio, Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future, that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what I think. That's the extent of my And then the guy knowledge. jumping on the phone saying, you won't believe this <laughs> Right? <You> know, <laughs> yes. So good. <laughs> I just heard it uh, trying to do a reboot of it, which some things I think they should just leave uh, yeah. alone. But... What have they done? Oh, the Ghostbusters yeah. and then Charlie's Angels. They just really run out of plots is how I see Man it. Man from Uncle. Yeah. Get I, smart. I didn't know that that was a, a remake. Oh, yeah. A reboot, Man from Uncle. And, and for those of us who grew up just living every moment of that, you can't. You can't. Ilya Kuryakin and Napoleon Solo cannot be replaced. And I'm even going to go as far as to say that there's 
truly only one other important Sean in my life, and that is Sean Connery. Mm, There's Sean only Connery. one nice. James Bond in my book, and I'm just a purist. Pierce Brosnan was pretty good. Because the thing is, you need it to be a little bit cheesy. It's, it has to, yeah. you have to have these <laughs> kind of incredibly stupid lines yeah. where they're, that's why I like movies like uh, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery when they're mm. on Alcatraz, because right. they have these terrible lines. Like, you know that movie, The Rock, or that song, The Rocket Man? That's you. And then he launches them out on the, the VX gas rocket. It's awful, <laughs> but so good. Also why Arnold Schwarzenegger movies are some of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. California. Um, I lied. <laughs> <laughs> so you've written some paradigm shifting books on nutrition and how it relates to the brain, obviously. What prompted you to want to dive more into how our environment affects our brains and how things like relationships affects our brains? And what prompted you to want to write this book with your son? There's a lot of answers there, that's for sure. And I think half of those uh, Austin should answer. I would say that uh, this book is an outgrowth of time we spent together. Austin's a physician as well. And noodling why it is that, you know, we do the very best we can to learn as much information as possible. We attend the conferences, we read the books, read the journal articles. Then we try our very best to communicate that information to people who will listen, yeah. patients and other people. But the breakdown occurs when people then don't do uh, don't take the information and make action out of it. So we needed to investigate that breakdown between information and action. Why is it that even though we give out this seemingly good information, so few people really actually you know, implement what right. we're talking about? Yeah. And we began exploring this whole notion of what underpins our decision-making and learned that you know, our decision-making is really a function to be simple about it, of two important parts of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is involved in making well thought through decisions, and another part of the brain, the amygdala, which it really acts very quickly. It doesn't really go through the machinations of, well, how would the food I'm eating today affect me tomorrow or next month or my risk for cardiovascular disease or what? I want the donuts given to me now and a story. And that is something very important as it relates to making medical recommendations, providing medical information, health-related information to people. But it really transcends that. It's about our decision-making process in the aggregate, day and, and night, what we decide to do and how we decide to behave. And we realize that it's a, it's a big story that the prefrontal cortex, which we're trying to bring online, is not just involved in decision-making, but is really also involved in very important things like empathy and compassion and planning for the future. And what we talk about in Brainwash, the new book, is that what we're seeing happen around us is people are becoming disconnected from that. We call that disconnection syndrome. Mm -hmm. And they're locking into this part of the brain that's fear, that's us versus them day and night. And you, you know as well as we do that, that that's, you look around, that's what we're seeing. And uh, what we were able to uncover is that this powerful thing called inflammation that you and I have talked about twice before as being a central player in what makes a good brain go bad, what threatens our heart, what threatens to cause diabetes and cancer and all these chronic conditions, this inflammation is up close and, and personal in terms of disconnecting us from that gift, from that part of the brain that lets us think about tomorrow, 
and make our decisions based upon tomorrow. That lets me care about you. That lets me care about people who have different viewpoints. That lets me care about the planet. And it's a big, it's a big issue, especially when we consider how much it's influenced simply by our food choices, by our lack of sleep, lack of exercise, lack of relationships, how much time we spend doing our digital world and so many factors. That's what went into this book. Yeah. And obviously the landscape of what our brains are exposed to is very different today. And I feel that's probably one of the intentional reasons you have people from two different generations chiming in on this. And so how's this experience been, first of all, just writing this book with your dad? (laughs) Yeah, well, unlike my father, I haven't written a whole bunch of books. So I can't comment on how this is different from prior books, but I can say that writing this book with my father has been one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. And for several reasons. I like talking about science, and I like talking about science after a couple of cups of coffee, and (laughs) so does my dad. And so when we were writing this book, um, sometimes remotely, but even better when we were in the same house, we would wake up, we would have our meditation, we'd have a couple of cups of coffee, and then we'd dive into this amazing material. That was really stoking my scientific drive. But then the other piece is how meaningful it is to spend time with my father, have this relationship that we're building while we're writing this book. And I've gotten to know him better, which seems weird because I've obviously known him my entire life. Um, But I've gotten to know him so much better in so many different aspects, not just the scientific basis for what it is that he talks about, but who he is as a person. So for those two things, it's been unbelievable. I think the last thing I would say is this book contains so many different subjects. But I I really feel that this is the message that we need to be delivering, and the time to do it is now, because people have become more disconnected in so many ways, even with all the things that are supposed to be bringing us together, the social media, the abundance of all the foods that we should, in theory, be eating up because they're delicious, we've become disconnected from our bodies, from ourselves, from each other, and from the world, the environment in general. So a lot of things went into the, the writing piece of it, but again, one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. Yeah, this is awesome, because what's so crazy about this is that you guys are literally doing the thing that you're encouraging in the book, you know, which is really remarkable. But before, I wanna lay the foundation here, because you both have said some really powerful overarching themes that we're gonna get into, but I think it's important to first talk about the evolution of the human brain. Sure. Right. So let's start there so that we can talk about that detachment, that disconnection that's happening. So you mentioned the amygdala, you mentioned the prefrontal cortex, but there's even a, a more primitive layer. So let's talk about that. Sure. Well, as we lay it out in the book, there are these three major stages in evolution for the brain. And I will say that the science now says it's not as concrete as this, but this is a really helpful way of understanding the different general functions of parts of our brains. So we talk about this R complex, this reptilian complex that is more brainstem. That is things we don't have to think about. And then we talk about this limbic system that is overlaid on top of it. And the limbic system is, it's helpful. All these parts of the brains are helpful and they've worked really well for us in years gone by. The limbic system helps us to have that stress response. It's involved with memory. It enables us to react quickly to things that might provide an immediate threat to our safety. But then we have this more recently evolved part of the brain, which is notable for the prefrontal cortex. And what is the prefrontal cortex? Well, if you think about it, it is the part of the brain, part of the neocortex, or most recent part of the cortex, that is right kind of behind your forehead. 
And why this is so important is this is the part of the brain that gives us our executive functions. I know I'm throwing out a lot of terms here, but what's important to know is that the prefrontal cortex is critically involved with giving us the ability to think things through. Mm -hmm. So the limbic system is more reactive. Right. The prefrontal cortex is more reflective. It allows us to pause and consider the pros and cons of our decisions before we act on it. And as you can imagine, if you want to be successful in the modern world, you need to be able to weigh the pros and cons and not just immediately instinctually react to things. If we do that, if we react to things all the time, we really get in trouble. That's when you have bad financial decisions. That's when you have issues in your relationships. That's when you make poor decisions when it comes to not exercising and not eating the right foods. And that tends to also be where you get into these conditions of psychopathology as well. Yeah. I love that uh, it was, I believe it was maybe Dan Gilbert who said that um, the human brain is a great flight simulator, the prefrontal cortex, mm. right? The neocortex is a great simulator of things to come. And what's amazing about the brain is that in essence, sometimes it can't even distinguish between the real event and how you're thinking things through. Sure. And with that said, utilizing that part of our brain, we can experience the, the feelings, the, the possibilities. Absolutely. But we live today in a time where we're really drawn to, we're being manipulated, and I want to talk about that next, the landscape, to be more reactive and not really be able to think things through. So let's talk a little bit about the new landscape. That's a great point. And uh, I, I want to just amplify something that Austin said a moment ago. And, and it deals with making good choices as it relates to the same things he mentioned, uh, whatever they may be, and especially those uh, that are involved in our lifestyle issues, like the food we eat, the exercise we get or don't get, the amount of sleep we get or don't get. Because bad decisions in those realms tend to cause us to make further bad decisions. It becomes a vicious cycle. If you eat crappy food, you increase inflammation. If you increase inflammation, you further your disconnection from the prefrontal cortex. Hence, you'll make further bad choices. Hence, you'll eat more bad food and gain more weight. And body fat is pro-inflammatory, further antagonizing our relationship with the area you just referred to, the prefrontal cortex. So, you know, it's, it's tough to think that, um, you know, what has to happen here is we've got to break that. We've got to break that cycle and jump off that carousel because it leads to not good things. It leads to bad health. And, you know, uh, that's the challenge because as you were just jumping into, the deck is stacked against us. There, you know, there are these forces, and I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but the truth is we all recognize that our eyeballs, our attention is sold to the highest bidder when we're online, for example. The constant pop-ups, the clickbait, uh, the fact that you watch a YouTube video and instantly there's another one queued up that you seem to interestingly find is uh, something you're interested in. Yeah. How does that happen? Well, we know how it happens. So your moment-to-moment -moment awareness is absolutely being manipulated, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of people who are paying for that and gaining value from your online experience, as an example. And unfortunately, uh, that manipulation leads to people making bad choices in terms of uh, the foods that they consume, their online buying habits uh, for things that are unnecessary, and even the time that they spend online, which in America averages six hours a day, at least in terms of being in front of a screen. Six hours of your 24 hours is spent 
in front of your computer, your smartphone, or your pad, or whatever tablet, whatever it may be. And um, the value of your time is precious. You know, uh, it's been said that when you're doing one thing, you're not doing something else. So when you are spending six hours a day in front of a screen, you're not out in nature, you're not exercising, you're not connecting to other people, you're not shopping for good food or thinking about how you're going to prepare that food. And those uh, activities are extremely valuable to reconnect to the prefrontal cortex and really offer uh, as an antidote to this disconnection syndrome that we talk about. Yeah, I think a great illustration of that disconnection between the prefrontal cortex and the more, you know, the limbic system, the brainstem, is that story that you shared in the book with Mr. Gage. Phineas Gage. And yes. I was talking about this last night with my son because you also appropriately put a, a nice illustration or picture of it in the book. And I was, this guy's <laughs> it's, it's a, a freaking great... pole going through his head. Yeah. And he ended up, well, you can tell the story a little bit more, but he ended up surviving. He straight got a, a pole through it's, his jaw, uh, through his brain. But my, young, my uh, oldest son talked about this how with his professor. He? He's 19. Nice. In, in school. I think when he was doing this When can we bring him on class. the show? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, that would be crazy, Can you imagine? Right? Why Father did I, and son. Oh. But I literally thought about, I, we should probably write a book together. I, you know? I, let's do it. That's, it sounds awesome. So uh, can you just share this story Well, first us? let me say, if he's 19, we are really going to span the generations then. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's got a, a really unique perspective. Oh, uh, are you in? I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. All right. We're making a commitment here. So uh, Mr. Gage was a railroad, railroad worker. And uh, how this happened is, is unclear, but they were using explosives. There was a rod in a hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow there was an explosion and a steel rod went up through under his left chin and came out the top of his head, basically... Uh, instantly giving him disconnection syndrome, if you will, cutting off his prefrontal cortex uh, from other areas of the brain like the amygdala. Pole goes through his head. He's sitting there, and, uh, you know, the doctor finally arrives after half an hour, and uh, Mr. Gage says, I have some work for you. (laughs) And uh, at that point, the doctor arrived, looked at him, and uh, Mr. Gage uh, vomited. And the doctor reports that when he vomited, he could see that his brain was pulsating through the hole. I mean, it was, it was oh, how do you survive something like that? Well, uh, in point of fact, he did survive. And uh, like 13 years. Yeah. The, um, the write-up of him describes how immediately this fairly affable, communicative, responsible. Uh, level-headed, responsible co-worker guy uh, became unrestrained, became vulgar, and basically acted like a child. And let's take, come back to that story in just a moment, but now reflect on this uh, idea that what the prefrontal cortex does is it represents sort of the adult in the room. It calms the amygdala. It says, uh, let's just restrain ourselves for a minute before we say those things, before, before we tweet out something aggressive towards another person for whatever reason. That's what the prefrontal cortex does. Well, he had lost that. He had lost his social restraint. And, uh, but the, and so many people know the story. Mm-hmm. It's a demonstration of what the prefrontal cortex does uh, that many have used uh, as uh, an example as to what happens when it's not available. But we included it in Brainwash, as you know, further on, because as you mentioned, uh, years later, Mr. Gage decided to, be a, uh, to drive a coach in Chile and became, had become a, a fairly affable, uh, interactive individual had regained 
his social graces, as it were. Hmm. And for us, that's, it was very important to vet that side of the story, mm-hmm. present that side of the story, because nobody really talks about that, because it's a great demonstration that you can reestablish, you can reform connections in your brain. Uh, you know, the, the Dalai Lama said that the brain we develop reflects the life that we lead. Yeah. Uh, so in a, in a very real sense, we can choose to change the wiring in our brains. That was why we included the story of Fred Gage, uh, not Fred, Phineas. Phineas Gage, Fred Gage, actually is a neuroscientist out here in California, who people said has got to be related to Phineas Gage because he's doing a lot of the work on neurogenesis, neuroplasticity. So excuse that slip, but um, we wanted to include that. What a dramatic example of a guy who has physically severed his prefrontal cortex yeah. from lower brain centers and yet recovered his graces. Yeah, it's very inspiring that that connection can be reestablished even with something traumatic like that. And I think an p- important part of the story, and when I talked about this with my son who got this story in his class, he didn't hear that second part, mm-hmm. that he was able to improve his life. I think an important part of the story though is he changed his environment as well. And so let's talk about how our environment is becoming a hindrance to that connection today. You illustrated a story of even your experience with social media because you know we're a younger generation and so we remember when we didn't have it and then when it hit the scene, we're like, oh, it's this opportunity, but then it can start to take over your life. Absolutely. And something I was mentioning to you earlier, which I think is a really important point, is your brain is going to get good at whatever it is that it's doing. So whatever you put your brain into, the environment you put your brain into, it's going to adapt to that. And if you put your brain into a stressful environment, now examples might be social media where everyone's yelling at each other, or even watching the news. We talk in our book about how the news has become increasingly negative. And you can even see the conversations people are having are more polarized than ever. You either have to be in this political party or that political party. And if you're not uh, 100% on board and willing to yell at your neighbor, you're demonized. So what happens when we put our brains into this environment? And then, not to mention, that's supplemented by the foods that we put into our bodies that change our brains to become more inflammatory and disable good decision-making. Well, our brains become a reflection of the environment that they live in, Mm -hmm. and they become geared to keep us stressed, geared to keeping us negative, and geared towards things like narcissism and disconnection towards the people we're around. And that's just not what we want. So if we want to create a brain that does well in the world and that allows us to be happy and make good decisions, we need to put in those inputs that will allow it to create the necessary neural connections to establish itself as a happy and healthy brain. Yeah. So in essence, a distracted brain is going to have the propensity to be more distracted. Yeah, exactly. Your brain is going to be a reflection of the life you live. And if you constantly live distracted, that's what your brain is going to be ready to do. Be distracted. So can you take us through, you had a really great kind of picture of what it's like today. For me, thinking back even 10 years ago, my routine was very different. The way that I woke up was very different. Let me me take take a step back for that. For me, 20 years ago, not 10 years ago. 10 years, I've been doing this for a while. And so I kind of have a good control and not even touching my phone for a certain amount of time before I get up. But for most people, and the numbers are crazy, it's like 79% yep. of adults yep. get to their phone within the first five minutes or 10 minutes of waking up. And then for younger generation, it's even more like 90% of them go to their phone first. 
So what an important point you make. And that again is, what are we doing with our time? In, in a given day, where are we spending our time? American adults spend around 11 hours each day interfacing with the media in one way or another, watching about four and a half hours of TV on a given day, a couple hours on their smartphone. And as you alluded to, about 80% of American adults are going to reach for their cell phones in the first 15 minutes after waking up. So what does that morning routine look like? It's, okay, I'm awake, where's my phone? And to be fair, our phones provide us an incredible source of information. We can learn about things happening across the world. We can get the weather report, which I could say is helpful because yesterday in LA it was pouring. (laughs) So I appreciated having that update on my phone. Surprise. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But you've got to ask yourself, what are you getting out of that time on your phone? And so what this comes down to is just in general, what are we doing with our digital exposure? Is it beneficial to us or is it taking something away? And something that we describe in the book as a mnemonic that will help people or an acronym to help people to understand how to manage their digital exposure is this test of time tool. So what is this? The test of time is a simple tool that you can apply anytime you're about to engage in digital exposure, whether that's picking up your phone, going on social media, watching TV, listening to the radio, surfing the internet. And it's really straightforward. So T, time restricted. Set a window that you are willing to go online for or watch TV for and stick to that. So that means instead of watching one show on Netflix, you might go into four episodes. That's why you say, oh, I'm only going to do 30 minutes because this is a 30 minute show. And you stick to that. I is intentional. Are you intentional about going online or did you just find yourself there? And I, mm-hmm. I've been a victim of this yeah. where all of a sudden I find myself on social media. I don't even remember how I got there. Yeah. It's kind of like when you're driving in a car and you aren't really sure how long you've been driving. You want to make sure the last few traffic lights were green. You think so, but you're not sure. That time is kind of gone. So it's being intentional while you're there. And that leads to M, which is mindful. What happens when you're online? Well, we get our attention picked up by all sorts of clickbait. You go online, you see some exciting story about some celebrity, and next thing you know, you've been targeted for 18 ads, you've been made upset because you've been looking at polarized political messages, and if you're mindful of it from the start, you have to say, how is this affecting me? I'm online, what is happening to me? Am I getting information out of this, or am I actually just getting more upset? And then finally, E, enriching. Is your life being enriched by your digital exposure? And I think this might be the most important one. It's something that I know immediately after my digital exposure, was this a net benefit to me? Has my life been enriched? Have I been getting some education out of this? There's a huge difference between watching a a nature or discovery channel show and a few hours of reality TV. Look, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy reality TV, but is it enriching your quality of life? And if the answer to that question is no, then that's a good indicator that perhaps you got sucked into one of these black holes And it's really just that you've been selling your attention to whoever put that program on TV. So again, the time tool is really key, something that I've really enjoyed Mm, that allows me to set myself up for success every time I'm interfacing with digital media. Yeah, this is so good. I I love that so much. And it's very practical as well. And I love the the note there about intentionality Mm -hmm. because as you know, it's like a slot machine in your pocket, you know? So that, I call it ghost scrolling. (laughs) You know, before you know it, like you're pushing the button. And if we can talk a little bit about like what's happening in your brain when we're scrolling. You know, again, as we've now said a couple of times, two things. Number one, when you're doing one thing, you're not doing something else. So this is valuable time 
that could have been dedicated to things that are positive, not net neutral or even negative. And uh, when you're, you're scrolling, you're looking for a place to land. You're up in the air from your last experience or whatever you looked at last time, and now you need to park somewhere. Now your brain needs to get something that's equally or greater stimulus. And that's what's happening uh, as opposed to turning it off, putting it down, and looking around. There might be a person there. There might be somebody <laughs> might be you could there. actually connect with yeah. and learn about. And that kind of gets back to this prefrontal cortex idea that we talk about so extensively. And that is, yes, that is the center for making well-thought-through decisions, understanding good and bad, understanding future consequence. But please, you know, a very important take-home message here is that the prefrontal cortex is where we derive, from where we derive our empathy. What does that mean? Uh, it means the ability, one form of empathy, to, for me to visit with your point of view, to look at the world through your eyes, from your perspective, and to experience that. And when you look around at what's going on in the world today, that isn't happening. Whether it's Republicans here and Democrats there, or you know my New York Jets and your crazy Miami Dolphins, or whatever it is, it goes a lot deeper than that. We know that there are things between religions, between countries, etc. And the amygdala fosters this us versus them mentality, whereas the prefrontal cortex allows you to engage in reflecting from another person's point of view, to walk that mile in his or her shoes, as it were. And that is uh, exceedingly valuable these days it's almost an existential value in terms of where we see the world going. Empathy also translates to how we think about the planet upon which we live, that having prefrontal cortex activity allows us, for example, to grasp the fact that we are indeed having an impact on the health of the, of the planet. Yeah. So we want to foster that relationship, and that's why we have a 10-day plan, uh, looking at changing your diet, changing your sleep habits, engaging meditation, reestablishing relationships with people, getting out in nature as an example, leveraging these things, each of which is uh, emphasized on any particular day of our 10-day plan, to really give people the chance to break the cycle, regain just a modicum of a better ability to make good choices, because that will feed forward and then make better choices. Okay, let's say you start with deciding for a person who says, I never get out in nature, I'm just going to get out in nature for 20 minutes and see what happens. If you make that a habit for a few days, that will strengthen your ability then to move forward with other aspects of the plan. Let me just mention one thing about this getting out in nature uh, idea that is so incredibly valuable, lowers cortisol, stress hormone, lowers inflammation, enhances our ability to make better decisions. Uh, you know, people might say, well, I live uh, in the middle of L.A., I live in Manhattan, that's just not going to happen. All well and good, but the research shows us that it doesn't matter if you live in a very urban environment. If you can get out to a place where there are some trees, get out into a park, there are parks everywhere. And if you can't, then you can buy a plant and put it in your living room. That is even beneficial. And if you can't do that because you don't want to water the darn thing, well, then buy a photograph or a painting of a natural environment. That has positive effects on rewiring your brain, improving your empathy, improving your decision-making, and helping you 
restructure your brain for for better decisions moving forward. Mm, that's so good. By the way, guys, snake plant, super resilient. Like you can accidentally forget to <laughs> water for like a week or so and the snake plant keeps going. This is such good stuff. And I want to talk about more of the practical application for us to improve our ability to make good decisions. And we're going to do that right after this quick break. So sit tight. We'll be right back. I was just riding in the car with my family. It was my wife and my two sons, Jordan, who's 19, and my youngest son, Brayden, who is eight. And Jordan was talking about how in his last year of high school, he was getting that coffee hitter. Like I had no idea that from time to time he would pick up a little bit of that crack bucks, all right, a little Starbucks. And he was just like, because it's, he's not really one of those people that likes coffee necessarily but he was just like some days you know dad you like you get up and you're just like well not today but then you have that coffee and you're like today today is the day and it's so funny because when i was in high school i never saw anybody drink coffee but before jordan got his first car you know i drop him off at at school every day and i would see the students just walking in holding their crack box cups right it's just like it's being bred into our culture at younger and younger ages but the reality is cultures throughout the world have been uh, enjoying and utilizing coffee for centuries, right? And in childhood. And it's only recently that this mass production, mass quantity, lower quality has become so pervasive, right? And so now not only are you getting the conventional coffee, but you're also getting a lot of toxicity along with it, the mold the pesticides, the herbicides. And this is creating an atmosphere where the benefits, the potential benefits of coffee are now going down. And people are just going to it because it's a source of caffeine or it's a source of sugar, right? Because a lot of people don't even truly enjoy coffee. They love the stuff that's in it, right? The sugar and the cream and those things. But for me and what I've been really directing people the last few years because I was just not a fan of coffee is let's get coffee, but let's upgrade it tremendously by utilizing some of these powerful medicinal mushrooms along with the coffee. And I do that through Four Sigmatic and their incredible mushroom formulas, their mushroom coffee. Now, when people hear about mushroom coffee, medicinal mushrooms, they might come up with well, what kind of mushrooms are those, Shine? I'm not talking about psychedelic mushrooms. I'm not talking about culinary mushrooms. I'm talking about the category of medicinal mushrooms. So these mushrooms have been utilized, again, literally for centuries. And this one in particular has documentation from over 2,000 years ago with cordyceps. And now today, what's so beautiful is that we have our clinical evidence to affirm the efficacy that our ancestors knew about many, many centuries ago. And so this was a study, and this was published recently in Medicine and Science and Sports and Exercise, tested 30 healthy test subjects for six weeks to record the effects of cordyceps on their performance in their sport. And the group that added cordyceps to their daily regimen had twice the oxygen intake of the control group. And this oxygen, again, is essential for supplying nutrients to your cells for preventing fatigue and buildup of lactic acid. And another study done by the same group showed that there was an overall 9% increase in aerobic activity, in aerobic performance from taking and utilizing cordyceps. Now, this is a real whole food, earth-grown nutrient sourced ingredient. This isn't a hyper-stimulant, which caffeine in of itself can be. And what Four Sigmatic was able to do is to reduce the amount of caffeine and add in another natural adaptogen and supporter of your energy that really helps to create this balanced energy. 
you'll never have those crashes or these strange, crazy coffee jitters that you can get when you utilize Four Sigmatic. All right, so pop over there, check them out, get your hands on some like yesterday. It's foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. Get 15% off the Cordyceps coffee, the lion's mane coffee, if you really want to focus on that mental fortitude because lion's mane mushroom, this is from the University of Malaya, found that lion's mane is able to actually create new brain cells. That's right, it has neurogenesis capabilities, right? Literally the creation of new brain cells and it's found to be neuroprotective and now it's being studied for use for traumatic brain injuries as well. Wow, like you can't get that from Crackbox, but you can get that from Four Sigmatic, all right? So pop over there, check them out, foursigmatic.com forward slash model for 15% off everything. If you're not a fan of coffee, They've got the mushroom coffees, and they're just straight mushroom elixirs as well. So whether it's cordyceps, lion's mane, reishi, you can get the real thing. Dual extracted, you're not getting this from other companies. They're doing a hot water extract and an alcohol extract to actually get all the nutrients you're looking for. All right, so pop over there, check them out, foursigmatic.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with Dr. David Perlmutter and his son, Dr. Austin Perlmutter, about their new book, Brainwash. And super fascinating stuff, super important topic. And I love the spin on the concept of brainwash. Like, in, in essence, there's this brainwash situation happening, but we're kind of coming in and cleaning up the mess. And you guys are working to help to prevent a lot of problems in the future, I believe. And Part of that just goes back to our experience and our exposure with what we're doing online. Our brains have evolved without this, or we're talking millions of years. We've just had this for like a decade yeah. and it's already just created so much addiction. And back to your point of, in essence, how it changes our brain is it reduces our ability to even have empathy because it's operating more of the parts of our brain that don't really run that way. And so practicing empathy in essence, can help us to rewire our brains. And so if you can, just talk a little bit about some of the chemicals involved, you know, maybe dopamine, tie-in, and what we can do as far as, you know, working on empathy. I want to get some specific tactics for that. Sure. Well, empathy is a, a very popular topic. It's something that people know we need more of. It's been tied to higher levels of well-being, better health. People have better marital status, meaning their relationships are stronger in their marriage when they have more empathy training for their partner. So we know that this is important. But the question is, where has our empathy gone? Is it, is it going out the window? Have we always had lower levels of empathy? And there's research from Dr. Sarah Conrath that shows that levels of empathy in college students has dropped off almost 50% in the last three decades. So it looks like our levels of empathy are declining. And then you have to ask, well, why? Well, coming back to the idea of social media, what is that doing? Social media, the internet, these are huge environments. And I think it's really important to understand that social media doesn't always mean that it's good or bad. There are positive aspects to it. It is a window into connecting with other people. But there's this really big downside that we can get sucked into, which is we create our own little bubbles where everyone is patting everyone else on the back and it becomes that us versus them mentality where we have our position and they mm -hmm. have theirs and you join a group and it's just hating on these other groups. Mm -hmm. So that is the opposite of empathy. Yeah. It kind of ties into with some research that shows that using social media in an active way, meaning participating in conversations with other people, 
is linked to more happiness while using it in a passive way, that kind of lurking in the background and just maybe talking about how silly other people look, that's associated with lower well-being. So what is it again about social media that can be a problem is it can allow us to separate ourselves from other people by creating a group of people who are opposed to other people's opinions. There is a way to do this where we're engaged in communication with other people and to foster empathy. To your point about how we can create empathy on a very basic level, well, there are several types of empathy. There's emotional or effective empathy. That's the one where if you were to stub your toe, I would feel something there. There's cognitive empathy, which is understanding that you have different opinions from me and that uh, putting myself in your shoes, basically. And then there's compassionate empathy, which is feeling compassion for another person. And most of the research in creating more empathy has actually been, strangely enough, in physicians, in medical students. And the reason is that we as doctors lose our empathy over time for a variety of probable reasons. But it's so easy to take back your empathy. As an example, if I was just thinking to myself, what are you going through today? Or how can I see things from your perspective? That is an exercise in empathy. I'm understanding the world a little bit more from your perspective. It is so easy these days to basically decide that we have all the answers and that the other party is wrong, whether that's politics, sports teams, dietary recommendations. It's, it's easy to double down and believe we have all the answers, but the truth of the world is it's complicated. We're all still figuring things out. And so just that tiny bit of questioning of what might that other person know that I don't know? How might I be wrong and the other person be right is what I think uh, could be one of the easiest interventions for empathy. I would say as one other easy intervention, having a gratitude journal. Gratitude has been shown to increase levels of empathy. And what does that mean? Well, it means that every day at the end of the day or in the morning, you write down a couple of things you are grateful for. That's so easy. It can literally be mm. my partner. It can be the fact that the sun is out today, whereas yesterday it was pouring rain. It can be the fact that my shoes fit well. But fostering gratitude leads to more empathy, and more empathy leads to better well-being. Yeah, yeah. There's some great research from UC Davis looking at how gratitude affects our brain mm -hmm. and how we relate to the, to the world. One of the interesting things that happens is serotonin. You get a serotonin hit instead of dopamine, which is what we kind of have driven more by with scrolling on sure. social media, which for me, and this was, I don't know if you guys know about Dr. Robert Lustig, but he wrote the book, Hacking Up the American Mind, and he talked about this different pathway, sure. you know, with dopamine versus serotonin. And serotonin being more related to what we would define as happiness versus pleasure. Yeah. And, and then drive for more, which is really kind of hacked into with social media. And so with the gratitude journal, just to get back to your point, um, it increases serotonin, reduces stress, mm -hmm. and also was found like crazy stuff, like improves your ability to accomplish your goals by like 33% for folks who are using a gratitude journal. It just is such a practical thing and it's free and it's simple and it literally changes your state. It's very difficult to be irritated and grateful at the same time. <laughs> That's you a know good what point. I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, as per uh, Austin's point, I, I think that it's really uh, valuable to consider that when you act that way, as to what we were talking about earlier, it ultimately changes your brain to make acting that way easier and your brain becomes more facile at, at the action. You know, uh, again, the Dalai Lama said that if you want someone to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, 
practice compassion. Mm-hmm. So it, it go, it's self-serving mm-hmm. to be that way. It, uh, it's good for me to be that way towards you, and uh, certainly it's good for me to be that way as well. And, uh, you know, th- as, per, uh, as you're talking about Dr. Lustig's book, how interesting that he writes a book called The Hacking the American Mind after his amazing work dealing with fat versus sugar and the, mm, you know, talk right. about the damaging effects of sugar, because no pun intended, it all feeds in to the same ultimate pathway that the hacking of our minds is distancing us from the, accessing the prefrontal cortex, as does dietary sugar. Same thing. Dietary sugar being pro inflammatory, inflammation is this mechanism that's keeping us away from being more connected to the prefrontal cortex, i.e. fostering disconnection syndrome. Yeah, so let's talk about that. This is another one of our points of emphasis for healing this connection is the section you guys have of clear the table. So let's dive in and talk a little bit about some of the things that we can pull from that chapter. Yeah, and as we have this discussion, let me say that, um, again, there are such wonderful books that are out now and have been out for the past several years about your book, The Value of Sleep, how important that is, and so many books about eating uh, appropriately. And while there are nuances of diets these days, ketogenic versus paleo versus this or that, by and large, people are kind of saying the same things when you look at the broad strokes. What are they saying? Saying you got to cut out the sugar, you got to cut out the refined foods and refined carbohydrates, and eat more good fat and good uh, colorful vegetables for the fiber, nurture your gut bacteria, and all that. That's really the broad strokes. And what does that do? Ultimately, the main uh, play here is it reduces inflammation. But the point I wanted to get to is that all these wonderful books that are out there by these terrific authors are absolutely useless. Why do I say that? Because they're absolutely useless if you don't do what they're talking about. You can have a, your bookshelf stacked with these books and you've watched every program, you bought every DVD. If that's still a thing, probably not. But, uh, and yet, uh, you look in the mirror and this is not the outcome I was wanting. It isn't happening. So that's the disconnection between information and action. And it's between getting the information and executing. Executive, executing, executive function. That's a key player in terms of what that prefrontal cortex does. So, you know, as, as we recommend uh, nutrition, it's pretty much in line with those tenets I just mentioned. Our goal is to reduce inflammation and to foster two important things, reconnection and a fertile ground for what we call neuroplasticity to allow that connection to happen. That means that in addition to reducing inflammation, making sure that you're getting things like turmeric in your diet and DHA in your diet, which tend to foster the ability of your brain to make better connection, to reconnect itself. And uh, with uh, something that's not nutritional per se, physical exercise, that fosters this reconnection, this neuroplasticity that is so very important. Mm. For me, when I was reading the book, uh, it, it just really struck me. And I've thought about this before, but it just hit me in a new way. There's people that we love. There are people in society that we might see that we're just like, why don't they get it? Like, you've got the information. Why are you not able to put it into action? Even in our own lives sometimes. Like, we might know a thing. We might be, you know, have this knowledge base or have like a whole mental Rolodex of things to do. Like, we're a human filing cabinet, yet we can't do it. And looking at this, there actually might be some issues with your brain and how it's wired up. And for some people, you know, maybe family members or maybe people that we love, 
they might have had a traumatic experience in their childhood that mm -hmm. created some of that disconnection. So can, let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, you brought up a lot of great topics right there. I think that for me, it all started with my medical care with patients. And the traditional paradigm is patient comes in, they have whatever problems they have, and I tell them, here is what I know you need to do to fix that problem. For example, a patient comes in who is overweight. Patient says, I want to lose weight. I say, fantastic. Here is what I recommend to you. And in a perfect world, patient would follow through on those recommendations, lose the weight, and we'd be done. It doesn't work that way. It's the information, but it's so much more. You don't only need the information. You need the ability to follow through. And so what we see is that when doctors recommend these treatment plans, whether that's taking pills or exercising or changing diet, 50 to 80% of the time, the patient doesn't follow through. So the paradigm that's set up is we blame patients for not having the willpower. Yeah. And you've got to ask yourself, at what point are we going to give up on this? It's not working. We need a better plan. What this book describes is, I believe, that plan. And it is our decisions are a reflection of our brains. Our ability to make the good choice is a reflection of how our brain is wired. We know that our outcomes, things like weight loss, eating healthy, having good relationships, are related to our decisions. We can choose to eat healthy. We can choose to exercise. But we put all the emphasis on the willpower at the point of decision. That's you sitting at a table with an apple and a donut. And we say, choose the apple. What's so hard about it? It doesn't work. So we need to take a step back and say, what is it about the brain that sets us up to make it more likely for us to choose the apple more times? Mm -hmm. And the answer isn't to be over the shoulder of that person saying, choose that apple. I don't get why you have problems with this. It's to say, let's set up a brain that wants to choose the apple. Mm, yeah. And it, it gets to uh, what you were alluding to. You know, we, we point fingers at people saying, why in the heck does that person make those bad choices? We, we see it all around us, and uh, I think the, it, it's so important that we stop the blame because the deck is stacked against each and every one of us by our modern society, by hacking into our ability to make these good choices, by what happens when we're online, what, what happens when we're in, in the world and offered foods that we know are bad for us, by this notion that we've got to stay up late if we want to be productive and get up really early and not get six hours, seven hours of sleep because that's the way to get ahead. That is, as you well know, that is absolutely wrong. And all of these things that conspire to disconnect us from the ability to make the right decision in the first place. So it's really a time to stop pointing fingers at people and blaming them. And we as physicians, I think, are guilty. We stand guilty of you know, leaving the office each day thinking, why can't that person just figure out, you know, can, can choose the apple and not choose the donut, what is wrong with a person? And now we realize it's not their fault. And our, we hope our readers of Brainwash recognize that they've been uh, manipulated. Their choices, their choice-making apparatus, their decision-making apparatus has been taken from them and manipulated for the benefit of others, not for their own benefit. And we are setting about to reverse that, give people back the decision-making apparatus, the ability first to recognize this has gone on right. and say, holy Toledo, look at what's happened to my ability. And next, then how to correct the various choices. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw the same thing, you know, working as a nutritionist for 
uh, about a decade. And I would have great success with some people. And it would ironically keep me up at night sometimes thinking about like, what's wrong with this person? Why won't they do this? Are they lying? And eventually, and how I really got good at what I did, and we saw success across the board, was working on what can I do for this person and their unique psychology. But I didn't intentionally think about what damage might have been in their life or what had taken place. I just spend time with them and do a, an overall analysis. Like, what does their life look like? What does their routines look like? What do their relationships look like? And you'll be able to start to kind of put together a patchwork quilt of, you know, this person's needs and their leverage points and strengths. And so I think that, you know, folks like yourself, you know, who are changing the paradigm of medicine right now and understanding that we need more connection. And as you mentioned, seeing physicians over time, especially in the last few decades, losing that empathy, it's just a matter of the way the system is set up. You know, these are great people who want to help people, but it's set up in such a way that you don't have that actual connection time. Yeah, I mean, these people show up with a toolbox and inside that to get healthy. And inside that toolbox are all of your great recommendations for nutrition and something and your recommendations for exercise. It's all in there, but they can't open the box. So they can't even access that stuff to implement it because they, that decision-making part is not there. And that's what we're trying to, to reestablish for people. And it's truthfully not that hard. If we just you know, get a little crack into that toolbox, all yeah. of a sudden that stuff becomes feed forward, becomes yeah. you, know, you adopt a little bit of exercise or a little bit of nature exposure, or you pay a little bit more attention to your sleep hygiene. And suddenly you say, hey, I'm, this is working for me. I'm gonna change my diet. I'm gonna get out in nature. I'm gonna call somebody I've wanted to reconnect with for a couple of years. Uh, I'm going to make a list of things that I'm grateful for. And that, you know, everything starts to build on that. And, you know, uh, again, you look around at how things are right now, and we sure need to make some changes. That's for sure. Yeah. Can I comment also on that empathy piece? We know that more physician empathy predicts better patient outcomes and better compliance. If you have a physician who demonstrates empathy, you're more likely as a patient to take your pills and to follow through on the plan. And we don't know exactly why this is, but my hypothesis is as follows. We know that when we're having good relationships with other people, that increases oxytocin. What does oxytocin do? Well, it does a variety of things depending on how it's given and where it exists in the body. But in the brain, one of the roles for oxytocin is it connects the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. So why is that important? Well, that connection between these two parts, which are really more part of a circuit than individual entities, it predicts people's ability to regulate their emotions, to be able to make well-thought-out decisions. And what disables that connection? It's stress. Mm. When we have high levels of stress in the brain, in the body, uh, in animal studies at least, they show that the neurons in the prefrontal cortex kind of wither and die, which is not a good thing. On the other hand, and here's the crazy thing, the neurons in the amygdala, the uh, emotional response center, they spread out and get stronger. So when we're under chronic stress for long periods of time, this literally severs that connection between the two regions of the brain and oxytocin seems to strengthen it. To your point again about early life trauma, they've done studies and actually a recent study in 2018 through MIT and Penn showed that children aged four to seven with more life trauma, things like divorce, things like significant illness, showed a decreased connection between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, and that predicted more aggressive type behaviors. 
though this is incredibly significant, is that stress seems to disable our ability to make good decisions by uncoupling these two parts of the brain that have to be in communication for us to be able to regulate our emotions and be able to handle stress. Yeah. If we could, I want to talk about just maybe one or two more points of emphasis that you guys have highlighted for how we can improve this connection again. Mm -hmm. And one of these, it's kind of, it might sound a little bit counterintuitive, which is more time alone, mm. quiet time. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, most of what we talk about in that regard has to do with meditation. And, you know, we're all aware that the amount of research with respect to mindfulness and meditation is now really robust. Even uh, prayer, uh, when we try to uh, keep our thought process uh, focused and uh, uh, alleviate distraction, there are some powerful things that happen. The prefrontal cortex lights up and our connection to the prefrontal cortex and the top-down connection of the prefrontal cortex over other areas like the amygdala is enhanced as well. So that's the value of meditation. And it really is across the board over various mindfulness practices, whether it's uh, paying attention to your breathing or reciting a mantra or being involved in deep religious prayer. It all pretty much does the same thing. There are subtle nuances of, of each form, but it really brings... Uh, the adult back into the room. And let me just talk about what that means for a moment. When, when the prefrontal cortex is not in communication with the amygdala as, as much as it could be, it's as if, you know, the parents are, are saying to the teenagers uh, um, who are going to invite 30 of their closest friends over to the house for the weekend, uh, we're going to go on a cruise, uh, you know, come what may enjoy. And how's that going to work out? Well, you know, the, the value of reconnecting, of offloading this disconnection syndrome, is it brings the adult back into the room to say there is no monster under the bed. Don't get all excited. Everything's okay. You can go to sleep now. Calming things down. Mm. Uh, we've all had experiences in our lives where suddenly the amygdala just lit up, and uh, by the grace of God, we were able to rein it in. In fact, I talk about one in the book. I was in Costco in line with my wife getting ready to check out. There was one more thing that she needed. She kind of does that. That's all right. I, it's, it's cool. And she yeah. ran off to get it. And, it. and and when she brought it back, it was, still wasn't our time to, to go to the cashier. So we were, everything was cool. But the guy behind her in line had a hissy fit. And I didn't mind. He was barking at me. And that's, a, that's, a, that's cool. I don't mind that. But he started to lay into my wife. And that it, my amygdala just uh, got plugged in. And I, um, I felt myself uh, losing control and approached him and um, somehow or another, the adult came back in the room and said that this is not a, not a good thing to do. And I, it was, I was grateful that I could rein it in. But what we recognize is many people these days have actions which we know about, which demonstrate that their amygdala is not reined in this uh, activity that doesn't demonstrate the adult in the room. And um, there's hell to pay when those things happen. And we need to bring more measured activity back into our lives so that we can get along better. And, you know, I think early on in our time together today, you said, well, what's different about this, this new book? You know, we've given out the nutritional information. Well, maybe we should back down on our gluten. Maybe uh, sugar is not so good for us, all these things. 
But this is higher order information. This is about not that gluten is bad and carbs, uh, refined carbs are bad, but what to do with that information, how to implement and how to be measured in our responses. And, you know, as we move forward in time, we really, really need to think about our actions. Yeah, yeah. Before I let you guys go, I want to talk about this because it's never happened on our show before. Um, but we're at a studio. We have a lot of guitars laying around here. We sure do. <laughs> and you guys just picked them up and started doing your thing, jamming, making music, which was just awesome. It was awesome to hear. It's super inspiring. And I'm just like, and I'm just putting it out there. You have a father and son book, father and son album should be next. But let's talk a little bit about, and I've been wanting to do a show on this for quite some time now, and I definitely will at some point, but how, how does music potentially play into this as far as healing that connection in the brain? There's a lot been written about that. Uh, there, uh, there is a book out called Your Brain on Music, and we've certainly uh, uh, seen the book called The Mozart Effect. People are talking about the Mozart Effect in terms of the developing brain. And, you know, music uh, really recruits a lot of different brain areas. You know, there's the, uh, the parietal lobe function that has to be integrated in terms of the dexterity and the uh, activating engrams that are stored throughout the brain for m forming chords and certainly memory for, is involved and uh, for the particular song or the position of your fingers, et cetera. Uh, I, I would say what uh, I find uh, most uh, appealing about it is ultimately I'm not playing the guitar, the guitar is playing me. Uh, I close my eyes and it's, it's a state where I know, obviously, it's coming from me, but the guitar music is changing my mood. It's taking me to a place, and it's it's hard for me to really understand sometimes whether I'm playing it or it's actually playing me. Mm. But then when we play together, and it's a wonderful communication, it is it is a relationship uh, that uh, is ethereal. It is it's extremely powerful. It's uh, I wouldn't say it's hallucinogenic. But I believe that there are things that are activated in the yeah. brain that might well be on par with that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. And um, this has been awesome. This has been an awesome experience. Uh, your book is phenomenal. I think it's definitely timely. And I really do. I know it's going to reach a lot of people, but I hope that it can help to create that shift that we really need right now. Could you let everybody know where they can pick up the book? We're going to do, you guys got some great pre-order sure. bonuses. The book yeah. comes out about a week from now. Yeah. The place to go is brainwashbook.com. And as you mentioned, we have a bunch of great pre-order incentives. If you feel like buying the book early, if not, that's fine too. But if you buy it early, we'll give you a bunch of extra great stuff. One of the things is you'll be entered to win some prizes that I actually kind of want, but uh, I guess I'm not <laughs> eligible for them, including things like Aura Rings, which are yeah. amazing way of tracking your sleep, in addition to a bunch of great discounts and some products that we handpicked from a variety of different uh, retail stores, which will help you to implement the practices which we are talking about in our book. But again, Brainwash Book, one of the things that we want to keep doing is providing information to people because... This is just the beginning. It's certainly not the end. And so it'll be blogs and videos, things that will help people to be part of this journey with us. Awesome. Well, you guys, thank you so much for working together on this. It's, it's so awesome to have these different perspectives and to bring them together for one important mission. And this has just been, for me, a lot of fun just seeing this. And it's inspiring for me to see you guys working together. And um, thank you so much. This is, is this third generation of. Yeah. Of, of 
men working in the medicine, the space of medicine, right? It is. Because he's your father. And, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, the um, expression of gratitude. So I think you need to know that we are grateful that we have been able to spend this time with you, first of all, to personally connect. We've, we've seen each other virtually, and, and this is a much better experience, A, and B, uh, really grateful that you do what you do. I mean, your heart is in the right place. Uh, how many people are going to uh, implement what it is you talk about? If it's one-tenth of one percent, then it's job well done. So thanks. Awesome. Thank you. I received that. You guys are awesome. Um, again, so the website is brainwashbook.com. Brainwashbook.com. Thank you guys for coming to hang out with me. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Truly, truly an important book to have in your collection. Brainwash, pick it up. Pre-order the book right now. Get those bonuses. Why would you not get the bonuses? Um, listen, this is, I'm not just saying this, but this is a really important book because our connection to social media and our technology is only going to become greater. It's only going to become a greater draw and desire for us. And it's just being able to utilize these things, but not have them take advantage of us or utilize us. Much like a positive experience of him playing the guitar as the guitar playing him, this happens with social media and we don't realize, and this can take us down a negative path and we're like ghost riding our phones, like I mentioned, ghost scrolling. And so just really preparing ourselves right now and starting to make a shift in these numbers. You know, if you can just give yourself a little bit of some free time when you get up in the morning, just think about your routine 10, 20 years ago when you got up, you know, what did you do? Maybe you got up and read the paper and got a cup of coffee or, you know, just spent some time, went for a walk. I don't know what you used to do, um, but just think about how things have changed and how our phones can potentially be taking control of our days rather than we being intentional is one of the things that we talked about in that test of time, which is a really great acronym, um, intentional about accomplishing our goals and not getting drawn into other people's agenda. So. If you guys enjoyed the show, please share this out on social media. Of course, you can tag me and let me know what you thought about the episode. I appreciate you so very much. And we've got some powerhouse epic stuff coming your way very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.